You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. How dare you and the rest of your barbarians set fire to my library. Play conqueror all you want, mighty Caesar. Rape, murder, pillage thousands, even millions of human beings. But neither you nor any other barbarian has the right to destroy one human thought. Hey friend, welcome back to For the Love of History. I am TK. You know that by now. We're into episode three. We're friends. (laughs) So today, our topic is the true story of Cleopatra. So In my research that I was doing, I realized that one episode was not going to be enough. There was just too much information that I wanted to tell you and not enough time. I'm not going to make you sit through an hour-long podcast because I have a hard time sitting through hour-long podcasts, and you've got things to be doing with your day. So we're going to split up this topic into two episodes. Episode one will be part one, and we're going to take a look at Cleopatra as herself, not through the lens of any other person or anything. We're just going to look at her as her. And episode two, we're going to take a look at her through the ever-changing lens of society, how different people and different time periods have portrayed her. So here in part one, we have three categories, I guess you could say. Category one, Cleopatra the woman. Category two, Cleopatra the ruler, and category three, Cleopatra the mystery. So, without further ado, let's get started. Cleopatra is arguably one of the most powerful women in human history, but her life has been told and retold through the lens of men that she had relationships with. I never really came across a lot of information about just her as herself. It was always Cleo and Mark Anthony, Cleo and Caesar, Cleo and somebody else. I wanted to just strip it all back, talk about Cleo the woman, because she is one interesting lady. When you think of Cleopatra, you think of just beauty, goddess incarnate, right? That is the image that we all have of her. And it's debated whether or not she really was as gorgeous as she's made out to be. But I, frankly, do not give a damn about what she looked like because... No one cares about what Caesar looked like, and no one cares about what Mark Antony looked like. We're not going over their looks with a fine-tooth comb in the same way that historians and other people like to with Cleopatra. They, they really, really want to know what she looked like, but I don't care. And we're not going to talk about it in this episode. We're going to talk about her as her own independent boss lady. And that's all I have to say about that. Sorry, moving on. So let's start at the beginning. 
Who was Cleopatra? She was born into the Ptolemaic dynasty, which ruled over Egypt for about 300 years. And the interesting thing was, they weren't actually Egyptian. They were Greek, which is a fun story for another time on how that all happened. Their capital was in Alexandria, and it was the center of Greek culture. It was a beautiful wonderful place for academics and scholars and mathematicians and it was gorgeous and we're going to talk more about that later. Back to Cleopatra. So Cleopatra was actually not the only Cleopatra. She was Cleopatra the seventh. There had been many before her. You know how there's a thousand Henrys and Elizabeths in European history? Well there's a ton of Cleopatras as well. And all those Cleopatras and all those Ptolemies in that dynasty, in that family, were a little bit um, murderous, shall I say. Uh, If you grew up in the Ptolemy house, you were sure to have a tumultuous childhood. There was a lot of killing of family members, patricide, matricide, the other side where you kill your sibling. I, I can't remember which that <laughs> what word that is. Suffice it to say, the Ptolemies were very much reality TV worthy. And if you guys want an episode about that, just leave a little comment on the For the Love of History Instagram and I would be more than happy to make one for you. But other than uh, trying not to die in her childhood from various family members, Cleopatra was really well-educated. She spoke at least five, possibly nine languages, and she went to school to become a Theosebia, which means scribe of the gods. So she could read, she could write, and do it in multiple languages. And people knew how smart she was. She met with scientists often and did experiments herself. She studied gynecology and started research on figuring out how a fetus forms way back in the day, you guys. Like, this is amazing stuff. The Arab historian Al-Masudi described her as a sage, a philosopher who elevated the ranks of scholars and enjoyed their company. He also said that she wrote a number of books on medicine, charms, cosmetics, things in the medical field, and the pharmacological field. One of my favorite things that I found out about Cleopatra is she wrote a book called Cosmetics. And it wasn't just about makeup and things like that. Yes, it included makeup, but it also included remedies for skin diseases, how to treat eye infections, how to combat hair loss. You got dry skin, Cleo has a recipe for a cream. Like, she was awesome. And honestly, I think she's the OG beauty guru. Like if YouTube was a thing back in (laughs) ancient Egypt, she would be like bigger than Jeffree Star, I'm telling you. And for those of you who don't know who Jeffree Star is, he's a really big YouTuber and beauty guru. It's fine if you don't know him. It's really okay. But her badassery did not stop there. In addition to her experiments and her books that she wrote and her five, possibly nine languages she spoke, she was also an entrepreneur and owned her own perfumery. 
she made her own perfume. And actually, some scientists and archaeologists have recreated what her perfume might have smelled like based on a recipe that they found near Cairo during a dig, which is super cool. You should Google that. Like, I really want to smell it. And I would pay so much money to be able to smell that perfume. And if all of this wasn't enough for you, her self-preservation mode was amazing and it had to be in a family like hers. Her dad died when she was pretty young and this meant her younger brother was going to come into power but she was not having it. So after her father died she kept it a secret and she kept it a secret for about four months and in this time she continued her father's building projects she had coins made with her face alone on them she gained support of the egyptian priesthood because that's where the power of the people was and she secretly planned her father's funeral i mean in four months girl when did you sleep when did you have time i i'm flabbergasted In four months, she basically established herself as the sole leader of Egypt. And just like in every other part of her life, she showed the kingdom who's boss. Now we come to Cleopatra as the ruler. She was a highly competent administrator. When she came into power, Egypt was essentially broke and she knew that she had to raise taxes. But what happens when you raise taxes? People don't like it and they revolt and they want to kill the leader and we don't want that. She didn't want that. She's a smarty pants and knew that she had to do something to kind of Show the people that, yes, I'm raising taxes, but this isn't just for me to fund a lavish lifestyle. It's for all of y'all, too. So Cleo hopped in a boat, and she went on a campaign to show herself to the people, and she floated up and down the Nile and participated in important religious ceremonies that previous rulers had not. Oh, totally forgot to mention... One of her five languages was Egyptian, and it's speculated that she was one of the first, if not the first, ruler to actually use and learn Egyptian in a formal capacity, which kudos to her. So she was just going above and beyond. And she also realized that the temples were the powerhouse of the Egyptian economy. So she decided to put a lot of her energy there. She did something that was real, real smart. She portrayed herself as the actual human embodiment of Isis, the goddess Isis. And Isis is described as she who gives birth to heaven and earth and knows the orphans, knows the widow, seeks justice for the poor, and shelter for the weak. So Isis sounds like the kind of lady that you would want being in charge of you. And the Egyptian people highly valued family and life, and Isis was basically the apex of motherly virtues. Isis was considered to be 
the mother of Egypt and was the patron goddess of childbirth and motherhood. So this was really smart of uh, our lovely Cleo to do. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but I love giving historical figures nicknames like they're my friend. It's super fun and I highly recommend it. (laughs) But anyways, Cleopatra was making big moves to get the Egyptian people on her side to get Egypt back on track, financially speaking. But Cleopatra didn't just get the economy back on track. She also brought Upper and Lower Egypt together. Like I said, Alexandria was a beautiful place and a hub of intellect and art and beautiful, wonderful things. But the lower part of Egypt, where Alexandria wasn't, that was where the food was being made. And that was where the common folk lived. And a lot of previous rulers just kind of ignored Lower Egypt. But Cleopatra was of the mindset that she was the country and the country was her. She was the queen of both Upper and Lower Egypt. She made quite a few royal decrees that helped the common people, the farmers, especially in situations where the Nile River didn't flood. If the Nile didn't flood, then there wasn't enough water for the crops to be grown. And she would do things to lower their tax burdens so that this one, you know, dry season wouldn't just destroy them. She did a lot of overt things like this, but then she did a lot of like sneaky snake stuff that was really, I don't want to use the word propaganda-y, but a little bit propaganda-like. She took to naming herself a lot and having a lot of titles. Let me just read a list off for you. So she called herself King of Upper and Lower Egypt, which is one of the five names that pharaohs could get. She was also Female Horus, the Great One, Mistress of Perfection, which is now my new name, and I will respond to nothing else other than the Mistress of Perfection. But it doesn't stop there, friend. Brilliant of Counsel, Lady of Two Lands, Cleopatra, the goddess who loves her father, image of her father, and the unique title of Upper Egyptian King of the Land of the White Crown and Lower Egyptian King of the Land of the Red Crown. Wow, that's a lot. That's a lot of words. (laughs) So let me break it down. The upper part of Egypt was symbolized by a white crown. And the lower part of Egypt was symbolized by a red crown. And these were actually physical crowns that she would wear to different ceremonies. And oftentimes, she wore the red crown, even though she was in Alexandria. So this was showing the people that, hey, even though I'm sitting up here in Alexandria, I haven't forgotten about y'all down there in the red crown, lower Egyptian land. So not only did she bring Egypt out of an economic crisis, but she also reunited the land as one Egypt. And her main goal on the foreign policy front was to prevent Egypt from being entirely dominated by Rome. So she was here to make Egypt better and also to protect it from outside enemies. And my friend... Do you think I'm done talking about how great of a ruler she was? Oh no, she was also great 
at infrastructure. An Egyptian bishop, John of Nikio, circa 696 BCE, were unlike any he'd seen before. One of my favorite things that she had built was the Lighthouse of Alexandria. This thing was so freaking cool. It was not just a lighthouse, but it had a huge magnifying glass that could burn down incoming ships. Like, you know, those mean kids in movies that burn ants with magnifying glasses? She could basically do that with a giant magnifying glass attached to a lighthouse. That's insane. She's just burning up ships in the water. But unfortunately, we don't know a lot more than that. There's only a few contemporary Egyptian sources for her rule, but they suggest that she was really loved by her people. And finally, we have come to Cleopatra the Mystery. I'm not gonna lie to you, this was one of my favorite parts to research. So Cleopatra loved pageantry, but not just pageantry for being extra's sake. She did it for a political purpose. It always had a purpose, no matter what she did. Now, there are two instances. I'm sure most people, if they know Cleopatra, they know about the time she was wrapped in a rug to meet Julius Caesar, and maybe a little less famous, but when she floated down the Nile in a super extra and glamorous way to meet Mark Anthony. So we're gonna talk about the first one first, the rug wrapping incident. If you've seen any Cleopatra movies, you've seen this scene. Sometimes Cleopatra is just fully naked in the carpet. Sometimes she's clothed in beautiful jewels and gold. But one thing that remains the same is she gets wrapped up in this carpet to be delivered directly to Julius Caesar. Some historians believe that it was possibly just like a linen cloth or even like a linen bag, but that's neither here nor there. We're just gonna ignore it. But regardless what she was wrapped in, she had a purpose. Now, it was really dangerous for her at the time to try to get into Rome to see Julius Caesar. There was a war going on, people didn't want her in power, so she had to sneak in to see him some way. So that was her purpose. Granted, did she need to do it in a carpet or possibly linen bag? No, but it was amazing. It left an impression. She needed Julius Caesar's help in order to get her throne back, to get her brother out of there. So girl had to make a good first impression, and I would say it did the trick. And we're going to talk about Julius Caesar and Cleopatra's relationship in part two of episode three. So just you wait, friend. I'm going to tell you all about it. So this brings us to our next incident, the floating down the Nile River to meet Mark Anthony. But girl did not just get in a boat and go see him. She dressed up as Aphrodite, the goddess of love, in a boat with purple sails. And the whole boat was perfumed. It was perfumed. So they could smell her before they saw her. I'm getting excited just talking about this. Can you imagine seeing it? It would, it would have just been amazing. But she didn't just dress up like Aphrodite and perfume her ship 
for kicks and giggles. It was a show of power. Like, hey, Mark Antony, I have all this money. Perfume was expensive. So I have all this money to perfume this boat, and I have purple sails the color of royalty, and I'm Aphrodite, a super important goddess to the Romans. Once again, she had to make a good impression because she wanted the rest of her kingdom back. Egypt had shrunk in the last 300 years of the Ptolemy dynasty, so she wanted all of that land back, and who could help her get it? Mark Antony. So she needed to make a good first impression, and I would say that she did. The other bits of pageantry lore in her life are the mysterious part. We don't really know if some of the things that she did really happened or if they were just rumors written after the fact. For example, it's speculated that her and Mark Antony had a bet of who could throw the most expensive dinner party, and she said that she could. She had a super simple meal, and at the end, she got a pearl and dissolved it in vinegar and drank it, and then said, see, I did it. Like, we're not really sure if that actually happened, but it's a great story, isn't it? And that's the beautiful mystery that is Cleopatra. So I like to end every podcast episode with something kind of fun or kind of interesting. So I want to leave you with one of my favorite things in the world that I discovered about Cleopatra. And that is the Inhibitable Livers Club. The founding members were Cleopatra and Mark Antony. And these two crazy cats loved partying. Basically, this club was a cult to the god Dionysus, who is the god of wine and partying and stuff like that. I'll leave a picture of Dionysus up on Instagram so you can check that out. When you see him, you'll love him. I love him too. So basically, every night that they could, Cleopatra, Mark Antony, and a group of their friends would go out and get just shmammered, super drunk, and they would play games and have feasts and do all sorts of fun activities, and one of their favorite things to do was to dress up in disguise and play pranks on people in the city, just common people in the city. They would dress up and just go mess with them. How fun is that? How awesome is that? I think sometimes we forget that even great historical figures had a fun, playful side from time to time. Not all, not all of them, granted. But we do often forget that people did have fun back in the Dizzy. And if I was alive back then, I would cross my fingers and toes and arms and legs that I would be invited to the inimitable livers to get drunk and play pranks on people. So... We've come to the end, my friend. Thank you so much for listening to part one of the True Story of Cleopatra series. I hope you enjoyed getting to know Cleo as her own person and not through the story of someone else. In the next episode, we'll be looking at how different times and different people have portrayed her throughout history. We're going to look at Cleo, the sexual predator, the star-crossed lover, and the murderer.
And one more piece of business before you go. I'm so sorry. I know this is long. But if you're listening on iTunes podcast, could you please leave a review what you think? You don't have to write anything. Just five stars if you thought it was five stars. Wink, wink. And if you haven't already, please go over and follow the For the Love of History Instagram and Twitter. Also over there on the Instagram and Twitter, I'll be having a poll to find out what you guys want to listen to next after the second part of the Cleopatra episode. So please go on over there and vote for what you want to hear next. The handle for both of those are in the description of this podcast. So once again, thank you so much. And I'll see you in the next one. Bye! Why is there a metronome right now? Oh, okay. <laughs>